is Camilla, and you're listening to the Cat's Whisker, a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it. People, stories, and the music that changed the world. In a few words, it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or, just like me, you've always wondered what it was like. I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play. So, let's roll! Hi everyone and welcome back to the Cat's Whisker. I'm really sorry to start this episode on a sad note, but as many of you know, a few days ago Jerry Lee Lewis died. He was probably the last of the big rock and roll stars from the 50s, and it is so sad to see another piece of history disappear. And since he was a great artist, I hope you'll enjoy this episode about a man that was behind some of Jerry Lee's hits and the ones of many others. Today again we're going to talk about someone that really really made rock and roll possible and it's so important. You may not know him but you know his songs. Today if you don't know him already I'll introduce you to the one and only Otis Blackwell, one of the greatest rhythm and blues and rock and roll writers of all time. Yeah because Otis Blackwell was a songwriter and a very very good one. Although there is something that has to be appreciated about artists that write and perform their own music, that hasn't always been the case. Maybe you'd be surprised to know that many of your favorite hits weren't written by who made them famous. And if some of your favorite hits are songs by Jerry Lee Lewis, Ray Charles, The Who, Otis Redding, Dolly Parton, The Drifters, Elvis Presley and many others, well, it is very likely that Otis Blackwell wrote them. But let's start from the beginning. Otis Blackwell was born in Brooklyn in 1931. Just like many others, music found its way into his life through gospel and his family. Blackwell, in fact, had an uncle who was quite into music and would take him to clubs all around the city to perform a couple of songs for a little money. And later on, even while he was earning a living by sweeping floors in theatres and pressing trousers in a tailor's shop afterwards, Blackwell still dedicated his spare time to music, performing in theatres and clubs. And during this time, he also manages to record a song, Nobody Met the Train, written by Benny Benjamin. It was 1948 and he was so young that his mother had to come to sign a contract with him. So basically this guy could sing, he could also play the piano, and he soon realizes that his main calling is songwriting. He was 18 when he realized he could write songs. He said that he would sit down, doodle and fool around and then the songs would come out. Oh, if only it was that easy for all of us. After winning a singing contest in 1952 at the Apollo Theatre in Harlem, he gets a contract that will turn into his first proper record, an original composition called Daddy Rolling Stone. It didn't chart, but became a big hit in Jamaica when it was covered by Derek Martin. And later on, it became famous as the B-side of the Who's single, Anyway, Anyhow, Anywhere. Not long after, Blackwell decides to give up performing and continues writing songs. Then, on Christmas Eve 1955, everything changes. As he was standing in the snow in New York with no hat and holes in his shoes, desperately need for some more Christmas money, he decides to sell six demos that will earn him $25 each. That would approximately be $260 in today's money. And between these six demos that he sold that cold and snowy day, 
there were many gems that would become million selling records. One of them is the first song that will be a turning point in Blackwell's career, putting his songwriting on a map. A couple of months after selling the six demos, one song co-written with Eddie Cooley finds its way to a young new singer, Little Willie John. Yes, I know, very interesting stage name, right? And when he listened to the song, boy did he not like it. But he was persuaded to record it anyway, and to this day many people cover this hit, Fever. It actually became even more famous when singer Peggy Lee added a couple of verses and released her jazzier version of the song. If you actually look at this song's credits, in some cases you'll see that Blackwell isn't even mentioned. In its place you'll find a certain John Davenport. A more white-sounding name, but most of all a pen name that will let him release music under another label. But here's to the main event of this episode, ladies and gentlemen. Somebody else was sent Blackwell's demos and used the songs. Between the ones that Otis Blackwell wrote during that winter in 1955 and sold for just $25, there was a tune called Don't Be Cruel that soon became probably one of the highest selling singles of all time. Especially considering that it was a B-side. It was in fact on the back of Hound Dog and launched the career of a certain young artist. I think that everybody knows who I'm talking about. Fun fact about Don't Be Cruel. Apparently, the song was originally given to Blackwell's friend, Frankie Valli. Him and his group, The Four Lovers, started recording the song. But then Blackwell decides to take it back and gave it to Elvis. Well, it was the right choice. Sorry, Frankie. And to be fair, it was a very good choice because Don't Be Cruel became the biggest single record of Elvis's career. But to make it up to Frankie Valli in exchange for Don't Be Cruel, Blackwell will quickly write in a bathroom what will then become the Fall of His hit, You're the Apple of My Eye. Don't Be Cruel was just the beginning of Blackwell's collaboration with the King. Not only would he send more and more demos performed by himself that will then result into massive hits, but he was supposedly being the very inspiration for Elvis's singing style. Blackwell would in fact say that the famous ups and downs of Elvis's voice weren't too dissimilar from the demos he used to send to the label. And when asked what he thought of it, Blackwell seemed to be pretty flattered and happy about it. He said the important thing was the message was getting across. And as we were saying, after the success of Don't Be Cruel, Blackwell was of course contacted to write more music for Presley. So one day he was working in the Shalimar music offices when one of the owners of the company, Al Stanton, steps in, shaking a bottle of Pepsi, saying, Hey, why don't you write a song called All Shook Up? And two days later, the song was ready. It was ready to be sent to Elvis and become one of his biggest hits. Not long later though, Blackwell's collaboration with Elvis comes to a forced stop. The king, in fact, enrolls in the army and devotes two years to military service. But Blackwell's service to music didn't end. During the late 50s, probably the most exciting years for rock and roll, Blackwell is a bloody machine. He writes everywhere he can and becomes a really well-respected name. One day, a writer named Jack Hammer again, very interesting name, approaches Blackwell and tells him, listen, I have this title, but I don't have a song. So Otis just says, 
sure, I'll write it. And that's how Otis Blackwell's lyrics for Great Balls of Fire became Jerry Lee Lewis' second and probably greatest release, making him a star. Blackwell will also write by himself another of Lewis's successes, Breathless. And his next major hit will be a song he wrote for D. Clark. Actually two. At that time, Blackwell was so busy that he found himself away from home a lot. And it's exactly on a plane from California that he thinks that his wife was soon going to give him an ultimatum. That he phrased in his mind with these words, keep this up and you'll see what happens. And that's how D. Clark's song, Just Keep It Up, came about. God, he must have feared his wife a lot. Clark will then record another song written by Blackwell called Hello Little Girl. In the same period, Blackwell writes The Handyman with Jimmy Jones, his first solo record after being with The Pretenders, later made more famous by James Taylor in 1977. It's 1960, Elvis Presley gets back to civilian life and to celebrate his return to the scene, he releases an album, Elvis is back. And would he actually be back without a couple of songs written by one of his most profitable songwriters? No, sir. And it's thanks to Otis Blackwell again that we have Elvis's famous rendition of Fever and the song especially written for him, Make Me Know It, which was also the first song Elvis records after military life. The album was a great comeback, but people started to think that the king had changed. His new style was more pop and preferred love ballads to rock and roll. It was then 1962 when Otis Blackwell gets contacted again to be part of a writing team alongside Winfield Scott. And the occasion, this time, is a little bit different than in the past. They need to write a song for a film. And it has to be more rock and roll this time. It has to recall the pre-army Elvis and launch both the film and relaunch the new Elvis. The film was Girls, 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 starring Elvis, Stella Stevens, Jeremy Slate, and Lauren Goodwin. The claim on the movie poster is the swingin'est Elvis, plus girls, girls, girls in brackets, plus songs, lots of them in brackets. Who could ask for more? Well, it sounds promising. And between these songs, lots of them, there was a song inspired by a message written on a demo that the two songwriters had sent to a record company and was returned to them. The message said, Return to sender, no such person, no such zone. Well, probably they should have given the writing credit also to whomever wrote that message on the envelope because Elvis's next hit, Return to Sender, will reach the top positions all over the world. A fun little tidbit about this song. Singer Jerry Granger in that same 1962 recorded an answer song. Unfortunately, the song is not on Spotify, so you'll have to listen to me singing it. Don't want your letters. Don't want your letters. The postman handed me a letter. I saw it came from you. I gave it back to the postman Cause you and I are through You better know it Don't want your letters Don't need your lies Cause I found me 
His love is true Now baby all I want is never to hear from you Next day I got another letter The writing didn't change Told the postman I'm sorry I still feel the same You better know it Don't want your letters Don't need your lies Cause I found me A new guy He treats me better His love is true Now baby all I want is never to I mean, I would have loved to see these two sing it together on stage. That's the film to watch, ladies and gentlemen. It has songs, lots of them. But back to Otis Blackwell. His collaboration with The King and the peak of his career were about to end because the 60s became the golden era of singer-songwriters. In 1963, Elvis starred in another film called It Happened at the World's Fair. And since it was set in Seattle, the claim of the film was Elvis swinging higher than the Space Needle with the gals, the songs and the most famous World's Fair. Amazing, I want to go back in time and find myself a job as the person that writes movie posters for rock stars. That film featured One Broken Heart for Sale, written by Otis Blackwell, and on that same year, Don't Drag That String Around, the B-side of You're the Devil in Disguise, will be the last song Otis Blackwell will ever write for Elvis. Believe it or not, but the two of them never met. Blackwell said that they could actually have had many occasions set up by Elvis's people, but the songwriter always declined. He didn't seem to want to ruin that business relationship that was working so well. So maybe meeting in the flesh would have broken the magic? Who knows? After these amazing years, Blackwell's impact on music faded, but his career didn't stop. He kept working as a songwriter and toured various times with his supporting band, The Smithereens. He also worked multiple times as a producer for big stars, such as Mahalia Jackson and Connie Francis. To have a better understanding of Otis Blackwell, I think we have to dive in the life of songwriters in the 50s and 60s, the decades that made Blackwell's songs famous. And we should probably compare it to now, because in many cases when artists even co-write their own songs, we praise them. But many, many times when hits are written by somebody else, we kind of slam the artist, but almost never give credit to all the wonderful people that contribute to the music industry by writing many amazing hits whilst leading a pretty anonymous life. Let me tell you, the situation back then was pretty chaotic. I guess it had something to do with the fact that music had never been sold in such big quantities before. But how do songwriters earn money today? Well, there are different ways that can be summed up in different categories. First of all, the performance royalties, paid when the work is publicly performed. It can be on films, TV, radio, records and live performances. And then there are the mechanical royalties, the ones that come from the sale of CDs, vinyls, sheet music, and also from the online downloads and streams. If you have a publisher and you live in the US, 
chances are that the royalties will be divided quite equally 50-50 for each of you. But if you live elsewhere, the contracts may vary. What is important in order to collect your own royalties is to be part of societies that protect songwriters' rights. It is in fact really, really important to make sure that our intellectual property is safe. And Otis Blackwell's story might actually be very inspirational. He in fact had to split the songwriting credits multiple times because at first he wasn't protected by any society. It was a very common practice in the past, even DJs like Alan Freed tried to illegally get credited in exchange for airplay. When Blackwell decided to give his Don't Be Cruel credits to Elvis, he made a deal. The king would have appeared alongside Blackwell's name on the song credits. This way, Blackwell got only half of the royalties for his own song. But well, 50% of 4 million copies is still a great result. So, if you want to be a songwriter, I really, really hope you're going to be as lucky as Otis Blackwell. But there is one song that came from the collaboration between Elvis and Blackwell and was only recently unearthed. It is in fact 2003 when the song I Am Aroused About, recorded in 1964, finally gets published in the compilation Second to None. It was written and recorded for the film Roused About, but when it didn't make it in the picture, everybody forgot about it. Let's listen to it while remembering Otis Blackwell, who died in 2002 and summed up his life in his obituary in the New York Times with these words. I wrote my songs, I got my money and I boogied. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I absolutely love this story and I was very, very happy to tell you all about it. If you want to follow me on social media, you can find me at the Cat's Whisker podcast on Instagram and at the Cat's Whisker on TikTok. I post a lot of extra music and vintage content there, so check it out. I'll see you next week. Ciao!